Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. According to many, he's standing by ready to help us through life. He's insightful, a great teacher, and an amazing comforter. Who is this mysterious entity? I'll let Dr. Jennings fill in the blanks via Skype today. Dr. Jennings, tell me more about this often overlooked presence in our lives. So we're talking about the Holy Spirit today, and my view of the Holy Spirit is that he is the third member of the Godhead, Mm -hmm. and he is the member of the Godhead who actually applies in our lives the achievements of Christ. Christ came as a human being and lived as a human being and overcame sin as a human being and developed a perfect, sinless human character. But the Holy Spirit is Christ's representative and agency upon the earth, carrying out Christ's purposes on earth and applying into the hearts, minds of believers what Christ has achieved for us. And that's why Christ said, it's uh, beneficial for you, I leave, that the Comforter may come. And when the Comforter comes, he's not going to speak on his own. He's going to speak only what he hears. So the Comforter is listening to Christ and speaking for Christ into the hearts and minds of people around the earth. You know, Dr. Jennings, there are those who don't believe a word you just said, because you start out by saying there are three members of the Godhead, and they say, no, there's just God, and he just sort of shows up in these different forms. What would you say to that? Well, I would say that that is an argument that's been made by many, and I would say that for me, it denies multiple layers of evidence. I think the weakest evidence, when I say weakest, because it can be interpreted a variety of different ways, but it's still evidence that I think is important, is the scriptural evidence, because the scriptural evidence is there of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And and on my website, comeandreason.com, if you type in Trinity, you can see an entire blog where I go through a long list of scriptural evidences showing the Father as a a divine being and and Jesus as a divine being, having life original, unborrowed, underived, and the Holy Spirit as a divine being. So I believe all three. And so there's strong scriptural evidence for that. But I say it's the weakest because people will take those same scriptures and they will interpret them in different ways. And so it's not persuasive to a lot of people, even though the scriptural evidence is there. What to me is the strongest evidence Mm -hmm. is how reality actually functions, God's design laws. And when you understand the law of love, the law of love is the law of giving. Greater love is no man that he giveth life for a friend. Mm -hmm. Other-centered beneficence, and we give many examples how God built this into nature, and it says in Romans 1.20 that God's divine nature has been seen, being understood from what he has made, so that men are without excuse. His nature is love, and it's the principle of giving. And we give the water cycles, the oxygen-carbon dioxide cycles, the pollination cycles, and on and on and on it goes. Every living system, in order to live, must give. Understanding that, if we do believe that God is love— Love requires an other to give to. Hmm. If we believe that God is eternal, and in eternity past, there was a time where God was a singularity without an other, then at that point in time, God was not love, functionally. Hmm. In order to be functionally, consistently love, God had to be a plurality. And this is the Hebrew language that uh, our God is one, and the Hebrew word chosen there is an actual word for the plural one, not the singular one, like the two shall be one flesh. Okay, it's a, it's a plural one. Yeah. And the minimum number to have genuinely self-sacrificial love is three. So you can have two 
and have that narcissistic reinforcement. And I've seen this in relationships where uh, a man or woman get married and they both just adore and worship each other and they both feed off of the adoration and worship they're getting back from the other. And then they have a child that comes along sometime later and the mother begins paying attention to the child rather than the husband that she's always paid her attention to. And he becomes jealous and angry and irritable, exposing this was really not other-centered love. It was narcissistic reinforcement. Mm. The minimum number for true other-centered love is three where one is willing to sacrifice for the others. And you see this operationally in the life of Jesus on earth. He never sought attention for himself. He always slipped away quietly and always pointed attention to the Father. And the Holy Spirit comes not speaking on his own. He comes representing Christ and giving glory and speaking for Christ. And the Father is glorified in the life of his Son. God was in the Son, reconciling the world to himself and so forth. So you see practically also that all three of them are other-centered and beneficent in their giving. So for me, if God is love, then there must have been three. Yeah, for God so loved the world that he gave. There it is right there, Dr. Jennings. Yes, exactly. All right, very good. All right, we're talking about the Holy Spirit today. A lot of people would think, well, I'm not sure if I really like this Holy Spirit because he's always making me feel guilty about the things that I'm doing wrong. That can't be a friend of mine when it makes me feel so bad. What would you say about that? Well, first thing, when you have guilt, I would ask um, for you to step back and ask the question, have you actually done wrong? Mm. There's two types of guilt. There is the appropriate guilt that we experience when we've actually done wrong. We've lied, we cheated, we've stolen, we've done something wrong. And that type of guilt is there to protect us. That type of guilt is like pain to the body. So that guilt is to the soul. And if you were touching a hot stove and felt pain, the pain is not bad for you. That pain leads you to quickly remove your hand so you minimize the damage. What would be bad is to touch a hot stove and be numb so you felt no pain. Then you keep your hand there until the flesh burns and you smell the burning flesh. Much worse damage. And so the type of guilt that we feel when we're actually doing wrong is a wonderful guilt because it leads us to avoid violating the laws upon which God built life and health to operate and for us to avoid injuring ourselves, searing our conscience, warping our characters, hardening our hearts. So that's a beautiful guilt, and we're thankful for a Holy Spirit of truth that brings the truth to our hearts and minds that can protect us from such self-injury. However, people can feel false guilt, and false guilt feels just like the appropriate guilt, except this is guilt when you've done nothing wrong. And this guilt is always based in some way in believing a lie. And if you're suffering that type of guilt, then the only way to get out from that type of guilt is via the truth that will destroy the lies. Thus, you need the spirit of truth to help you understand, discern the truth and expel the lie. And the only way out then is from the Holy Spirit who frees you from the false guilt. Can you give us a real world example of this kind of false guilt? There's multiple types of false guilt, but I remember a patient who came to see me who had a child who was sick. They took their child to the doctor, and the, and the uh, child was diagnosed with ear infection and given antibiotics and went home, but they got worse. They took them later that afternoon to the emergency room, but they diagnosed them with an ear infection and gave them some child Tylenol in addition to the antibiotic, and they went home, and they got worse. And then later that night, they had a seizure, mm-hmm. so they went back to the hospital, and, and that time, they were diagnosed with meningitis, and they died because it was too late oh. at that point. And that parent then told themselves it was my fault. I should have known. God gave me this child to, to keep safe and, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. But the parent had no medical training. Did the parent do anything wrong? 
No, but the parent continued to feel guilty as if they should have done something to prevent what happened. And so there's an example of false guilt. And the only thing that's going to resolve that is for the truth to be realized that this was a horrible situation. There's terrible grief involved, but there actually was no wrongdoing and there was nothing the parent could have done with the knowledge they had to alter the outcome. Dr. Jennings, you've made it clear that the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, is totally capable of making us feel very ill at ease when we're doing something or about to do something that we shouldn't do. How would you describe the feeling that we get when we're doing something that we should do? It doesn't seem to be as strong. It just seems to be, well, this is what we should do, so I'm going to do it. Well, it depends, because um, that was. I'm glad you brought that up, because we can do something we should do simply because we know we should do it, and there may not be a feeling associated with it at all. Mm. Uh, when was the last time you get up in the morning and brushed your teeth? Hopefully most mornings, because yes. you understand the reason for it and you should do it. But there may not be much of a feeling associated with that, because you're enlightened, you're convinced, you're persuaded by the weight of evidence. What do you need God to do? do every morning, give some weight on your shoulders or your heart to persuade you and compel you to brush your teeth? No, you're left completely free to carry out your duties as you understand them. However, think about this now. How many of us have had an experience where the Holy Spirit did not bring a conviction of sin, but brought a conviction of duty? You had a new conviction to take a certain action that you hadn't yet thought of, to visit this person, to share this book with somebody, to call this person and encourage them, to give a donation to that charity or that ministry. You had a conviction laid upon your heart to do that. Then you you see the Holy Spirit working in that way, and I think we've all experienced that. But most of the time, the duties we carry out that are right, we carry them out because we agree. We don't need the Holy Spirit to convict us. We're already persuaded. Oh, I like that, Dr. Jennings. You're saying that the Holy Spirit is totally capable of leading us to those good things, of, of leading us to the things that will bring us joy. It may not happen right at that moment, but boy, you sure feel good when you see that charitable donation going out and you see people helped across the world. When you when you go and you see that friend and you see that smile, there's where the happiness is. So I guess we can say the Holy Spirit is very good at leading us toward joy, the pursuit of happiness. Am I right? That is right. And and one of the ways the Holy Spirit does it is by sometimes we get those convictions of duty. You, yeah. you've, I'm sure yeah. you've had that in your oh, life. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, the other way, though, Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And if you look at the fruits of the Spirit, when, we, when the Spirit leads us into truth, we are brought to a point that we are able to comprehend, understand wherever we are in our journey, and people are at different places on their journey in truth, but there's a truth before us that we are left free. We have a conviction. This is the truth. I need to not just understand it cognitively. It's a truth I need to apply. I need to give up the marijuana. I need to I need to stop visiting the porn site. <laughs> I yeah. need to maybe change the way I worship God and go to church at a different church. It, it may be a lot of different things, but that some journey you're on, the Holy Spirit has brought truth to your life, and you understand it, you're convicted of it, and then you're left completely free. Choose it, apply it, and if you do, you're going to grow, and as soon as you grow, you're going to gain more insight and more wisdom. The Holy Spirit's going to lead you to the next step. But if you choose to say no to that truth, you're stuck at that point. There's no real growth until you move forward in the truth you already know. But as you move forward in this truth, the Holy Spirit continues to uh, help shape and develop and heal your heart, mind, and character, and you develop what are called fruits of the Spirit. You get new motives, new desires. And the last fruit of the Spirit is self-control, mm. self-governance, that the Holy Spirit heals you so that you are carrying out these duties in total liberty, totally autonomy, just like brushing your teeth. You freely do it, and it's a joy to carry out the things because you're in total agreement with God on them. In the three minutes we have left here, Dr. Jennings, there is a Bible text that talks about how we should not grieve away the Holy Spirit. How do we do that, and how do we know if we're doing it? 
So the grieving away of the Holy Spirit is to basically refuse to either follow or listen or apply the truths that the Holy Spirit leads us to understand, Mm -hmm. including spending time with God via the Holy Spirit. Okay. (laughs) And say so 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 we may get may grieve away the Holy Spirit simply because we get busy with good things in life, not be evil things. We're so busy on our books and our projects and our and our missions and everything else that we never spend time with God in meditation, prayer, and heart searching with the Holy Spirit anymore. And we're just doing it all on our own. And that's another way to slowly grieve away the Holy Spirit. Wow, we don't grieve away the Holy Spirit only by doing bad. Sometimes we grieve away the Holy Spirit by being so wrapped up in doing good that we forget to include the Holy Spirit in our lives. Am I right? Yes, and this usually leads to exhaustion, burnout, and sometimes disillusionment because we can then begin working on plans that from our human perspective look like a really good thing, but it wasn't God's plan. And we're working on building a, a you know infrastructure for some ministry that God didn't want us to build in that place or time. And so then it doesn't come to anything and we end up in financial ruin or something because of it, because we really weren't letting God lead, but even though we had good intentions. Wow. So let me sum it up. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth that leads us back to truth and wins us to trust. And when we open the heart and trust, the Holy Spirit is the agency of the Godhead Mm. that takes the perfection of Christ and reproduces it in us so that we get new hearts and right motives and new desires. He writes the law on the heart and mind. So he is applying the victory of Christ into our individual hearts and minds. Oh, beautiful lessons today from Dr. Tim Jennings. Comeandreason.com is the website. If you need to have some kind of guidance and and instruction in your walk with God, commonreason.com is the place where you need to be visiting often. Dr. Jennings, thank you so much for your words of guidance today. Thank you. Always happy to do it, Charles. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. <music>